Hi, everyone. I'm glad you're here today because we are going to be talking about some important things today. One of them is uh, MS and how it is often misdiagnosed or takes many years to diagnose. And we also have an author who has MS, Dr. Cynthia Guy, and what she went through before she was accurately diagnosed. And that led her to writing a book, um, Loving Yourself Healthy, Love Yourself Healthy, which was published 10 years ago. So we're going to talk about her experience and the need to re-edit and redo the book. All right, Cynthia, you, you're a physician, a speaker, an author, and um, you are very familiar with this topic. So please tell people a little bit about yourself, if I missed anything. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for allowing me to be with you today. I am very honored and delighted to share some information that hopefully will be of help to a lot of people. As Marie said, my name is Dr. Cynthia Guy. I was a practicing anesthesiologist for three decades until I had to say goodbye to the field because I was having some fatigue issues and dexterity issues with my hands. And actually 24 years ago, I was diagnosed in the year 2000 with multiple sclerosis. And the diagnosis at that time, the neurologist said to me, uh, you better make some arrangements because your MRI is pretty ominous and most likely you're going to be bedridden for sooner than you think. Of course, uh, Cynthia did not accept that diagnosis readily, as most of us don't when we hear of a chronic neurological disease that is going to prevent us from living a good life. So I um, promptly discarded the idea and the notion and kept trucking in every day, being the workaholic woman that I was. So I struggled with MS and uh, I finally decided that it was not going to knock me down and told my story in my first book, Love Yourself Healthy. Uh, I did the drug therapy as recommended by the neurologist. Uh, I was told not to exercise anymore. I was told to, I could eat whatever I wanted, et cetera, et cetera. But four years into doing whatever I wanted to eat and not exercising, but taking the drugs that I was prescribed, I was not any better. Yeah. So I decided to change the whole scene. And I'll start right there. That's a good intro. Um, so since 2014, the diagnosis and the understanding of multiple sclerosis has evolved and it has impact patient care and outcomes. And some of the key changes for instance, is early diagnosis. They are, I believe, able to diagnose it a lot sooner now? Absolutely. It took, about, it took the physicians about five years to diagnose me in 2000, but I was having symptoms from five years prior until one of my 
friends and colleagues told me that I was uh, an overachiever, overactive, menopausal female that needed to retire. <laughs> and I said, retire? But I'm a young woman. I'm just in my 50s. What are you talking about? So, of course, I, I just laughed the whole thing through and, and told him that I did not agree with his diagnosis and and kept going and started doing my own research until finally things did get worse. And I went to another neurologist who repeated my MRIs and said that, indeed, I had MS. It took five years to do that. Now they did finally an MRI of your brain, right? Right. And they I found plaques. Like a, I lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> from plaques. From the, yes, the, the plaques, yes. That's what they're called. And that definitely proves the diagnosis of MS. That, But up to then, had had not they done an MRI of your brain up till then? Uh, no, because as I said, I was being seen by a colleague and friend who really... Uh, discarded my symptoms and uh, did not MRI me or anything. So I had to change channel, so to speak. So sometimes when you're told something that doesn't sound well, because your body tells you really what's happening, yeah. maybe you just have to switch channels and see somebody else for another opinion. Yeah. yeah and you have to be proactive because my primary always, I'll say something and he'll say, oh, who told you that, Dr. Google? Well, he can tease me all he wants, but I Google everything medical um, for me and my husband, and I have found things that a doctor didn't even know about. It was new and they're so busy, they can't keep up with everything, I guess. you know. And this particular doctor, he had too many patients. He finally had to go concierge because... He couldn't give the care that he wanted to give. So he had to cut down to a thousand patients, which still seems like a lot, doesn't it? But right. but here in, in South Florida, especially, we have an aging community and he specializes in elder care. That's a specialty. So then back then too, when you got um diagnosed, did they put you on certain drugs? There were certain demands. Immediately, they told me I needed to go on immunotherapy, which at the time I was doing some clinical research, so I, I'm very good at researching anything drug. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, most of the drugs that they wanted me to do, uh, the incidence of depression was very high, 35, 40%. And I found the one that had the least amount of depression. And I decided to go with that one. And I did it. It was all, you know, 20 some years ago, it was all out of pocket. And what was the name um, of that drug that you went the, with? The drug that, that I was prescribed was Copaxone. Okay. I did my daily injections for four years, but did not improve <laughs> in my symptoms. Yeah. And uh, so just to um, clarify for people, if we say DMTs, it's, it, that means disease-modifying therapy. And they use that term because there's no cure for MS. You can yes. slow the progression, right? I correct on that. Yeah. Yeah. So these drugs they had out, 
Oh, they approved uh, the some relapsing remitting types and um, some uh, secondary progressive MS. There's different types of MS. I worked with two women with MS. I worked with the Center for Independent Living, who helped people with uh, handicaps or that were, you know, other enabled, and they didn't like disabled, other enabled. And the one woman had the uh, progressive MS, and she was young when she got it. You know, she was 30. And the other woman had the slow chronic MS, which uh, she got when she was much older, like 55. And to this day, the one that had the slower one that got it at an older age is still functioning in her life. And the younger woman, unfortunately, went downhill very fast and died. So that now I'm talking about 30 years ago. All right. So a lot has changed in 30 years. So MS is not a death sentence. I think what happens is, like in your case, when they said don't exercise, that was totally the wrong thing. Tell us about your exercise program. What exercises do you do? Well, I took upon healing myself. And I decided when I was having mobility issues that I wanted to improve my mobility. So I do a lot of exercises concerning my lower extremities and my strength. And today I, I exercise at least an hour a day within, within uh, stretching and walking. And I have an equipment uh, that's called the New Step, which is like a sitting elliptical machine. And I do at least two miles a day minimum in addition to basically my weights, uh, doing weightlifting, strengthening my upper body. I do use a scooter and I do use my walker because I've had two falls already. And that's one of the things that I think we need to accept when we have mobility issues to really forget the vanity that we females have and mm -hmm. start using an aid, such as a, a walker, or a cane. I know one of my friends was having mobility issues and I told her to use a cane and she said she refused. She says, oh no, I am too young to use a cane. Well, I never felt that way. I think <laughs> so sometimes- I use, my, I use my mobility aids as much as possible. Yes, you, do. And you do it very well. I, I have a feeling men are even worse with that because my husband has stage three Parkinson's and he fell many, many times. And the cane was bought for him. The cane sat in the corner. He would fall. He would use the cane for a day. He would not use the cane. Then it got really bad. And his neurologist told him, you need to use a walker. And a walker doesn't mean you can't walk. A walker right. so you don't fall. And the walker sat on our patio for a year. <laughs> and he continued to have falls. So finally, I had to like put my foot down and... I had guardrails installed in the house where there's you're making a turn because when he makes a turn around a corner, that's that's where he's fallen. The bathroom, the next to the bed, all these things. And I said, you are going to use that walker whenever we have to do something like a mall or go to church, different things. That's it. And when he's not using the walker, though, he does use this cane. He finally graduated <laughs> The cane. <laughs> very, very wise decision to do. 
he has a pusher, a nagger in this house, a wife that nags for years and years. And um, funny story, you know, his driving isn't that great. And I was getting very upset about it because when we moved to Florida, we only decided to have one car instead of the two we had in the north. For where were we going, everywhere together, et cetera, extra insurance, extra cost, one car. And of course, he would always drive. And now I didn't like his driving. And someone said to me, it's not your job to tell him to stop driving, but you can't tell him he won't be a passenger anymore. And I'm like, oh, and I, oh my God, I never thought of that. So from that day forward, whenever we're going somewhere together, I drive. And he does limit his driving because he knows he's not as quick as he used to be, response-wise, to going to the drugstore down the road and things like that, which even then I told him it's risky because you could be the best driver, get in a fender bender, and if they call police and you start shaking, guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose your license because once they know you have Parkinson's and you get in a fender bender, it's over. So he he takes those little risks, but I'm not in the car. I'm not in. <laughs> That's called self. <laughs> That's called self care. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Good no, I've, I've seen you get in and out of your mobility device, your scooter. I've seen you get in and out of your car, so you still drive. Did you have? Yes, to, how did you have to adapt your your vehicle? Did you do that? Well, the, the adaptation uh, to my vehicle was very simply made by getting a vehicle with a ramp uh, and to allow me to go in and out of my scooter. And for my scooter, I transposed myself to the driver's seat and drive away. The most difficult thing is to finding a parking place that's very accessible. And there are very few of them. So sometimes uh, I take the risk and I double park my vehicle. I occupy two spaces so I can open my ramp. But that doesn't mean to say that somebody can squeeze in and close me off, even though I have a sign on my vehicle. Please give me eight feet to open my door. No. But, you know, it's, sometimes it's just discarded. But I do my best and I, I'm very vigilant to park or stand yeah. accessible. Yeah. One learns to adapt and one learns to learn what's going to work and what's not going to work. And I certainly have done that over time. Yes. I know what's working and what's not working. And I can give, I, I gave uh, quite a few blogs uh, and talks uh, for WebMD on things that I have learned over the years uh, to help us travel the able world, which sometimes discards those that are unable to follow the other rules. So uh, it has been an interesting experience and I have grown emotionally. I don't get upset about it anymore. I go like, what, Cynthia, you know what to do and move on. So I can certainly coach a lot of people who are with the handicap of not driving, how do you get into an airplane? What should you take to get into the airplane? What should you verbalize before you get into the airplane? What yes. kind of seat you should have on the airplane if it's a long flight? 
and host how near is the bathroom accessible to you, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. Little details that one really doesn't think about. about. I had to just do that. We had a trip up north and I made sure we both had seats on the aisle. This way he could get in and out, but I was also across the aisle to help him with anything. And one passenger was getting on and, and she said, oh, do you want my seat? You'll be right next to him. I said, no, I don't need to be next to him. I need to be across from him, which I do. But uh -huh. people don't realize and they're trying to be right, nice. Right, right. So, yeah. So now let's ask, I want to ask you this. Do you take any drugs for the MS now? Uh, certainly after taking drugs for four years, uh, 20 years ago, I decided to start healing myself in the alternative world. The alternative world being of the exercise, nutrition, getting my sleep, and working on stress levels, which is another story because my husband was developing cognitive decline. And I took care of him at home with his cognitive issues for about eight years until I was unable to continue doing that. And he ended up in a long-term care facility. And actually, he expired about three months ago, which is truly a blessing because it was a long, long road that took me to explore brain matters when one of my daughters asked, mom, are we going to get dementia like dad? Mm. And regrettably, I didn't have the answer. And I started doing my research. And my, my second edition of Love Yourself Healthy is going to be primarily on brain matters. I think that we need to become aware of certain signs and symptoms that start displaying today earlier than it did before and yeah, we need yeah, to become absolutely. aware and become uh knowledgeable enough to accept it and start to do something about it because it can be reversed and um two things that you brought for me one is stress and stress causes inflammation in the body and inflammation is responsible for a lot of illnesses that we have myself included Correct. Right. And um, people don't realize that. And sometimes people don't even think they're stressed. Like I am an overachiever like you. And I try to be on track and have everything organized. I'm taking care of my husband and I'm getting into therapy and I'm doing everything and I'm not stressed. Yes, I am. <laughs> you know, I could act like I'm not, but my body knows better. The body keeps the score. That's a book, actually. Body keeps the score. And um, so for me, I think taking care of yourself is a number one priority, whether, excuse me, whether you are a caretaker, caregiver, or the person that has the illness. And I think you are stressing that, right? Absolutely. Uh, especially when you like, when you're living with a purpose and a goal in life. Uh, like for me, I, I love my profession. I love being an anesthesiologist. I love taking, uh, putting people to sleep, make sure they wake up and everything else. And, you know, it's a challenging feel in itself. And I love it. But I also love, love, love 
the career of medicine. And, and regrettably, I, I try to continue doing that, even though I'm not in the field itself. I try to coach people, really, these are the signs and symptoms you need to be aware of early on and accept them and try to change them. Although changing for a lot of people is very difficult. I know it was for me. Giving up my career it was not easy, but it had to be done if I was to continue helping mm-hmm. and being of service to others. That's right. And and for you, Cynthia, um, you mentioned that you had to find, some people call it holistic therapies. What it really is, is just basic things like nutrition and exercise and taking care of yourself. So what are your thoughts on nutrition and what we put in our bodies? That has changed, I believe, over the years. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I recall 30 some years ago in the operating room, uh, drug vendors will come in with the donuts. I mean, trays and trays of donuts. And, you know, in between cases, you know, we'll go to the doctor's lounge and eat a donut and a cup of coffee so we can keep going. Most of the science today shows us that sugar is the sweet, edible cocaine that we inject ad nauseum into our body that creates all the chronic diseases through inflammation that we are experiencing today as a society. The obesity, the diabetes type 2, the hypertension, uh, sugar is the number one, and the carbohydrates. We consume as a society just too much carbohydrates. So the low-dose carbs is advocated now with the good oils, and the good oils uh, that's advocated is basically saturated fats, as in coconut oil, and the olive oil, and we should try to avoid the sea oils, etc. I mean, the nutrition is totally up to us to take a hold of what we put on the fork yeah. and in our mouth exactly. because it can either cure us or, or take us away. Yeah, cure you or cure you. To be blunt. And you know, we have, I'm going to talk a little bit about this wonderful doctor that we found out we both have in common, which is so interesting to me. But so far when we're talking about inflammation, Sugar and stress, those two already we've identified, okay? So we have to look at self-care and our diet. Now, I had a weight problem after I had children, and it was really um, depressing. And I tried diets, and I tried exercise, and I tried everything for decades. And um, about 10 years ago, I decided... I would have this lap band, what is it called? Lap Lap band. Thank you. Lap band. Thank you. It seems so safe. It was the safest thing. You know, it's not, oh, I'll have that done, right? And I did. And um, they botched it and caused a very bad stomach infection, which caused me to spend the summer at JFK Hospital in and out of that hospital, it was terrible. They could not get rid of the infection. They couldn't find an antibiotic that would work. They did other tests, they punctured my lung. It was horrid. And when I finally uh, got out of there, I still wasn't feeling right. And going to doctors and saying, I I don't know what I'm gonna do because um, 
They took the lap band out, of course, immediately. The damage was done, the infection. And I couldn't eat anything. I would try to eat a cracker and I would throw it up. It was terrible. That was 2015. And someone said, to, well, a doctor said to me, you know, you should go see Dr. Silas. He's up in the Jupiter area. And I went to see him. And he's a bariatric specialist. And he took an x-ray Had while I was awake had me drink water and the water squirted out of my stomach. Long story short, he ended up removing 85% of my stomach that was not functioning properly. And we go out to lunch, you and I, one day, and I'm telling you this story and I didn't mention his name and you said, was it Dr. Silas? <laughs> well, now, you ended up in good hands, I must admit, because I personally know Dr. Silas. And he tells it like it is, and he does the right thing for you. He's now known as the carb addiction doctor, and uh, our society is addicted to carbohydrates. And yeah. that's, you know, that's the, the root of a lot of the malfunction and the chronic disorders that we have, that we're experiencing in society today. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we're supposed to avoid carbs, but we need to be selective in the types of carbs, the types of sugar, the type of oils that we consume. He uh, he even mentioned, you know, um, they think, oh, low fat, low fat. No, I want you to eat fat. I want you to eat bacon. I want you to eat fat. Fat is actually going to burn your calories and your fat that's in your body. And I did um, pretty much 80% of what he told me because nobody's perfect. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what, I cut down on carbs. And now it's like, if I have a piece of bread, it's like, oh, I don't even feel good. I don't like to eat bread anymore. I just, you can, you can form new habits and it's not that hard. If you can do something for 28 days, they say it becomes a habit, you know, right. so just give up bread for 28 days and see how you feel, Right. So before we run out of time, let's talk about the new book. I lost audio. I can hear you. Minnie? I'm back. Oh, great, great. Okay. We were out to lunch and we were talking about where you wanted to go next. And we decided it was to rewrite that book because so much has changed in the last 10 years with you and with medicine and with society and types of food, a lot of things have changed in 10 years. Yes, yes. So um, I know what you think about nutrition and your self-care and managing stress and exercise. And you need to let everyone else know how it has worked for you because it has worked very successfully. So will, will your new book still be called um, Love Yourself Healthy Set, like an yes. addiction or... Yeah, basically, I will summarize uh, the MS part, uh, which the first book, Love Yourself Healthy, it was basically all about my so story of MS and what I have done over the years. But in the second book, it will be just a brief synopsis of that. And I will delve into how brain matters came into play in addition to what I learned when my daughters asked me, will we have dementia like that? And I, I didn't have the answer. So, yeah, let me ask you this. So this. You're actually almost writing a totally new book. 
Exactly, exactly. So are you going to change the title then? Well, I want to create awareness. Yeah. Uh, maybe I, I want to create awareness. The most important thing, my friend, is people need to be aware and not play down on symptoms that are happening. I mean, as a physician, when my my husband started doing weird things, like he decided he was going to be the chef of the family. And I can't tell you how many times the smoke alarm went off in the kitchen because he forgot he was cooking. Really? I mean, you started I cooking and you forgot you were cooking? Hello? Hello? Uh -huh. But Cynthia decided... Oh, he's just getting older and a little bit forgetful. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Well, that little bit forgetful needs to pay attention. But as the loving wife that I was, uh, denial was in place with me. Oh, it's just getting, I mean, he's just, you know, yeah, he's just having a bad day yeah. to deny things. But we need to become aware and start paying attention and yeah. do something about it. Yes, I do that with my husband. I, I have come to Jesus talks, I call it. We sit down and go, okay, now we got to have a talk. And then I tell him certain things that's happening that he's probably ignoring and what it might mean and what he has to do. And he's been, I would say, 70% compliant, you know, but that's better than none. And exactly. I, I have people, he has Parkinson's 12 years now. And so he's doing fantastic. So what's your goal moving forward, Cynthia? My goal moving forward is to educate, create awareness, give information of things that can be done going forward. And you do not have to wait till you're on Medicare or anything like that because younger people in their 40s and 50s are noticing cognition decline Oh, they don't remember certain things. Yeah. The wife tells the husband, pick up some milk on your way home from work. He forgot he had to get the milk. I mean, how difficult is that for you to remember that the kids needed some milk for the breakfast the next day? Little but things. It's only, little yeah, things it's only one, one act of that happening. But if you see that happening several times. Exactly. You need to become aware. It's yeah. like, well, that happened last week. Gee, it happened twice this week. What's mm -hmm. happening here? What yes. are you doing? Uh, become aware that alcohol is not really the happy, fine drink that it is when it becomes chronic and in major amounts. A glass of wine, I mean, it's okay for us to sit in there with a good red wine. Not a bad thing. But when you decide that the whole bottle has to be consumed, in the next three hours, that's and you do it over and over and over. Yeah. It's like, what is this going to create doing the two and three bottles of wine a week? There's something wrong with this picture. Yeah. We yes. need to become aware of these little things. So, Cynthia, we're going to run out of time, but you and I can talk for hours. So, we just have Absolutely. to segment it. We just have to put in a segment. So we'll all have another podcast with you in a month or so, and you can let us know how far along you are with your new book and what's happening. Okay. Very well. I'll be delighted to do that. Okay. And I'll be delighted to, uh, you know, join with any time of this discussion. I appreciate the opportunity, Mimi. I, I think it's 
you know, people need to hear more of these stories. Yes, they they really do to become aware because sometimes when they hear the story, they think, oh, this will never happen to me or my children or, you know, I'm good. We need to at least learn about it. Talk about it. And we will. And we're going to talk about other subjects, too, because you're very knowledgeable on other things. So thank you again for coming. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to meet, meet me until we meet again. Well, we'll okay. go to lunch soon. <laughs> love to all. Thank all right. you very much. Goodbye. Bye.